Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. Storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're... You're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines. Trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. In the wake of that, you've got this three this three series coming out. Uh, there's The Boys for Amazon with uh, Carl Urban, and there's uh, Supervised. Yeah. Have you seen Supervised? Oh, you sent me Supervised. Yes, That's the one you sent me. That. I saw the trailer for that. Yeah. yeah. And then and then there's uh, Brightburn, right? And so I feel like... There's one more. What's another one? Well, HBO's picking up uh, some kind oh, of weird... Watch, Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah, do you want something with Watchmen? Right. It feels like we're going back to the way we were in the 90s, because if you think about it in the 90s, like... It's like they, they they couldn't crack the code on how to make a traditional superhero film. So what we got was all these sort of like weird offshoots, like The Crow and Dark City. Yeah. Even if you look at even if you look at Eighty Nine Batman, that was a very Tim Burton take on it. It's not a traditional superhero film. When did Frank so, Miller do Batman? Was that back in the nineties? Uh, I think it was the eighties. In the eighties. Yeah. But yeah. So, it, 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 definitely, it's after comics have been out for a while. This kind of theme started coming around of. These, uh, you know, black and white, good versus evil hero stories aren't really cutting it anymore. People were kind of getting tired of that, you know. We, uh, even even just costume superheroes, you started right. seeing, you know, a lot of a lot of comics started coming out of like Wolverine in plain clothes, just out doing his thing with a bunch of like moral ambiguity. Right. And uh, we're, I think we're, I guess, what we're yeah. trying to talk about today is we're heading into that that air, that new region in uh, the uh, superhero cinema that we're heading that way where a lot of the audiences are going, okay, that's enough of the black and white, good versus evil. We're ready to kind of deconstruct this and get a little more gritty, a little more reality in here. I think so. I think so. So, you know, coming out of coming out of um, the last, I'd say, month or so of sort of Game of Thrones-centric podcast that we did, uh, you know, you we, raised the interest. We did a month. We did. We did, a, we did about a month worth of... of uh, wow. In, uh, three were directly related to Game of Thrones, and one was sort of... Uh, an offshoot of the criticism, talking about the criticism and critique that comes from Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I hope our listeners are Game of Thrones fans. That was, uh, it's not going to happen again, though, guys. It's over now. <laughs> We're all done. We finished our, it. The month of Thrones is over. The- the watch, the watch, our watch has ended. That's right. Oh, we're, um, we're, we're heading that way. We better back off and go yeah. back to what we're <laughs> But, you, did, you know, you pose the interesting question, what's next? What do we talk about this podcast? And, and you know, for my, I haven't really, there's a, there's a bunch of films coming out that I really want to watch, but I haven't had the opportunity to get there. And one of them that I'm, maybe I'll get to today is, is Brightburn, which is produced by James Gunn, written by both of his brothers, which is sort of a deconstructed tale of, um, what would happen if the traditional story of Kal-El, of Superman, had gone had gone really badly, right? Yeah, you got a and, boy lands on the farm, that, that whole thing. A boy from space uh, gets yes, right. raised by the parents, but because he's from another planet and he's a little weird, instead of becoming the, you know, the high school quarterback and the popular guy like Superman became, uh, who falls in love with America... Uh, he becomes more like what we're seeing on the news today. Uh, you know, it's children right. that want to want to hurt people at their school. And I'm, I want to read you this quote from David Arbor um, when someone asked him, you know, why the Hellboy remake wasn't received well. 
And he said, um, the problem that I have with comic book movies nowadays is that I think it's a result of the Marvel stuff. It's like chocolate. It's a flavor. It's like chocolate. It's a flavor. So everyone goes, chocolate is delicious. And these guys make the best chocolate. So, you know, you judge the movies and it's like, well, it's not as chocolatey as this. This does not taste like chocolate at all. And I want a world where there's more flavors than just comparisons to chocolate. So in that way, when Hellboy is viewed on the chocolate spectrum, it does very poorly. Now, mm. now that uh, that's a little bit of an, uh, an interesting take, and maybe it's a little hard to track, but I think what he's trying to say is, for the last 11 years, we have had what I would consider the golden age of traditional comic book adaptations, you know? Yeah, yeah, like how because that's what that's a term from comics that golden age, right? That's uh, what is that? They're like the time of like Superman, Thir- uh, Captain yeah, America, the 30s. That kind of st- yep, yep, the thirties. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so if you really think about it, for the last eleven years with the with the rise, um, you could certainly say the rise of Iron Man, but maybe even you could go a little further back and you can go into the late mid nineties with Spider Man and X Men. What you've had is the translation, a pretty a semi faithful adaptation and translation from the comic book page to cinema in a way that didn't exist prior to that. And um, with Endgame, which you just saw recently, Avengers Endgame, I would make the the argument that traditional superhero formatted films have reached their apex. Yeah, quite possibly, Uh, at at least as far as um, the, the box office numbers that they've been getting. Uh, I I really would be uh, surprised to see a, um, another Avengers movie do as well as any of the previous ones at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, leading into Avengers Endgame, uh, certainly into infinity war, you heard a lot of this phrase being used, which was sort of superhero fatigue, mm -hmm. right? You know, Steven, I think it's Steve. No, James Cameron is famously saying he's tired of superhero films, mostly because they're beating his shitty avatar films in the box office. <laughs> yeah. But you, you saw people wearing out. You know, the formula was very the, – the Marvel formula, as successful as it is, I think people were, felt there was a certain repetition, repetitiveness behind the way these movies were made. And they were kind of getting burnt out of them. And um, I think because Infinity War and Endgame promised to be such game changers for – much like the Game of Thrones finale, uh, a, a series of characters that you had followed for a decade – yeah. I think people, and, and by the way, I I don't know how you felt about Endgame, but I felt that it was executed fantastic. It was good. It was uh, fun. Or I, I probably won't ever watch it again because it's I don't it's whew, I don't want to just say it's a bad movie because it's not that. Mm-hmm. It's but like when I think of uh, the qualities of good cinema, it's you know um, characters that it's it's actors that are are doing such a uh, you know, a great job of their characters that when you watch the film two, three times, you start seeing uh, the little subtleties in the right. performance and, the, and it gets you to know that character better. It's, it's characters with so many layers in the, in the actor and in the, in, in the director's mind that um, you can get to know a character like that. It's, it's, it's scenes where, uh, you know, the, uh, the layout and the, and the, and the, the photography and everything tell, tell the story as well. It's, it's you know it's it's soundtracks which uh, Avengers right. Endgame had a few gems on it. Uh, we were kind of grooving yeah. in the theater, but but like when it comes down to Endgame, it's like the memorable scenes are, are more contingent on things like uh, you know this fight scene had like twenty superheroes in it, so it's really memorable. Right. But it's you know right. it's not it's not that 
it's not that art that artistry that um real good cinema has you know it's uh it's not like uh coen brothers you know what i'm saying right there's a huge difference a huge gap between an avengers film and something like coen brothers where you're like every little moment matters and so uh in fact like this one was three and a half hours long and Mm -hmm. um on the way to the theater my fiance uh was looking up good bathroom break moments (laughs) <laughs> and there, were like, there were like all these articles that's like pretty much nothing happens here uh here about 45 minutes of the film nothing really happens there you can go to the bathroom uh and it's and like that's i mean that's ridiculous like when you're having a film that you're going right. what are the what are the parts that don't matter where i can just walk away and and they and they it's true and they were right i uh i sat through all those scenes and it's like there was a lot of forgettable unnecessary scenes uh i guess what i'm trying to say is it's it's a lot of fun but it's not um, memorable. It's not. It's well, not the it, kind of thing that I want yeah. from a movie. And I feel like I feel like it serviced its goal perfectly, which is did I feel justified in spending sixteen dollars for the ticket and six dollars for parking and my whatever meal I ate that day? Uh, did I feel like it was worth being around people? Uh, did did, it, did the did going to see this this um, spectacle did it justify the effort put in and from that standpoint i think it did and there's one moment in the film that i thought was is particularly emotional um where where captain sport i mean this movie's been out for a few weeks now captain america uh, yeah, I, I th- well what should we spoil anything i don't a few uh, weeks isn't just, that much well the, the the official spoiler ban was lifted by the the studio so <laughs> okay, fuck well, it. Hey, spoilers at your own risk audience there's one moment where, where Captain America is facing down Thanos and all his allies are down and he's the last one standing. And, you know, that, that was always the great character beat for Captain America. It's like you could never keep him down. You know, he, could, yeah. he, could, he could do this all day. And, um, and, uh, and because you know some inside baseball and you know that these contracts are ending, you, you're thinking, like, is this where, where Captain America dies because Chris Evans is no longer reprising the role. So this could be it. And you're, you're kind of emotionally preparing yourself for that, which, um, you know, should come from the film itself and not from, you know, behind the, behind the scenes, but whatever. Uh, and then you hear Sam, uh, the Falcon say on your right cap or whatever on his left, I forget what side he's coming from. And all oh. the port, all the portals, open and you see like all the heroes that have that that you know (laughs) went away and they came back and they're just filling the screen and you you suspend logic for a moment on how they all got caught in the first place to come at this exact moment whatever it doesn't matter you know the score uh because a a, a legitimate criticism marvel films is that their scores are generally pretty unmemorable but avengers has a theme that i think really works and so the, the theme rises up and you know, you see Cap looking around, and all his allies are there, and then Thor dusts his fat self off, and you know everyone. Um, fat gets... Thor. Um, sorry to interrupt, but Fat no. Thor. That was, I will remember that. That was pretty great. Fat Thor <laughs> was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to see a Fat Thor movie now. That was pretty listen, sweet. Listen, Chris Helmsworth is a genius comedian. He is so he's pretty, good. He's really he's, growing on me. He really is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no interest in the Men in Black movies really after the first one, but I. Only because I know how good Chris Hemsworth is at comedy, and I'm, I have mild interest now, in maybe checking yeah. that out. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's the one sort of emotional beat. But beyond that, 
I think the film just did its job, which is it paid off and it, it stuck the landing. Okay, it stuck. To, but to your point, does it give you? Does it? Does it sit in in the hall of great cinema? I don't think it does. Um, and I it it reminds me of a time that we grew up in, a probably a very influential time for us, which is that in the in the early mid '90s and certainly into the late '90s, when in the comic book medium, comic books had kind of reached their apex with the death of Superman. You know, and from there what you saw was the rise of all these sort of like indie imprints, you know, um, or at least uh, darker imprints. Like you saw uh, DC release its Vertigo imprint, which gave way to say, you know, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Or yeah. you had uh, Marvel Knights, which reimagined some of its street level superheroes as these sort of more gritty and grimy, you know, Moon Knight and Daredevil. And and certainly then you have Image and you have Spawn and what have you. But I think the same thing was happening in the movie theaters. You know, after after the 70s Superman film, no one really cracked the code on how to make a superhero movie. They were all pretty awful. Any real attempt at them. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. What, what was going on back then? We had a Punisher film with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, I remember that yeah. one. That was a that one might have been a straight to video because we rented that one a bunch when we were kids. I remember that. Yeah. I liked it, but looking back, it's like there was right. a Captain America film. I remember Ooh, that. Two of them. Two of them. Two of those. Uh, yeah. Red Skull was the bad guy. Um, I once again, you know, I was like ten, so yeah, I liked it. But looking back, it's like that's not a good pretty movie. Up. Pretty uh, awful. What? What else? What other weird superhero films came about back there was, then? That... There, there was the famously failed Fantastic Four film that never, that never got released oh, because yeah, it was that right. bad looking. <laughs> uh, but yeah. but you but you know and obviously there was Batman eighty nine and, and the subsequent Batman films that came after that, but those were so weird. Really, when you think about it, like Batman and Batman Returns are like Tim Burton films starring Batman. You know, and even uh, the Schumacher films, they're uh, you know they're very Schumacher, my goodness, they're very <laughs> they're very quirky. <laughs> all quirky all takes. I remember is um, him in an interview saying, "I'm the one." I want he goes, "I want people to remember I'm the one that put nipples on the bat suit." And it's like, and they all do right, Schumacher, <laughs> and 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 they do one hundred percent. You know, he directed. Oh, yeah. You know, he directed some episodes of House of Cards. No one remembers that. No, oh, they remember that he put nipples on the bat suit. Well, Schumacher's made some great films, but yeah, mission, his Batman's mission are... accomplished. Yeah, I definitely remember, and I remember the um, one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's worst lines ever when he's Mister Freeze and he goes, "Cool party." <laughs> you remember that? I mean, it's, it's. I don't know how to look at those films. I I feel like um, Burton was like Bat He kind of had an understanding. Like Batman is weird. Let's make a really weird film, right? And Schumacher yeah. was like, I, my favorite Batman is the movie from the sixties with Adam West. Like I, you know what I mean? I think he, he yeah, I think that yeah, was absolutely. his big inspiration was like, I'm going to take Batman back to 1967 and I'm going to pick up where those guys left off, which I love that movie. The, right. the original Batman film from the sixties is awesome in my opinion. Yeah, it's great. I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah. But it's super weird. And, but but it, should, weird. it should be though. That's the thing. And that's how cinema... That's how filmmakers should be receiving these comic book characters. I, I know it's like, it, it is kind of nice for a moment to have our um, comic books come to life. But when you get down to it, it's like, there's a reason you guys aren't comic book creators. 
you're filmmakers and you should think this shit is weird and you should make weird movies that express how you see it. Avengers should have been a lot weirder, man. Doctor right, Strange right. was was a really cool like sci-fi thing, but it should have been like way more heady. Like it should like you know t- taking it it's a different format. It's a different medium and it's for a different audience and it should be I don't know. It's um like there's a there's a comic book writer that I feel understands this really well and it's Grant Morrison. I was going to say yeah. He's very controversial, but whenever he gets any mainstream comic book series, you can expect that it's going to get really strange. He's going to take it places it's never been before. He he'll right. break break the fourth wall. He'll put himself in there sometimes. I mean Well, his run on his run on Batman was excellent. He basically unlike most comic book creators, he he acknowledged all canon that came before that no matter how tonally different it was and he he justified it in some ways he was like yeah in his mind like batman you know first few years was like yeah batman's he's uh he's had this tragedy and he's very driven and you know he gave up his entire childhood for this mission of being becoming the batman and then he meets robin and he starts to see that childhood that he missed almost like michael jackson in a sense right he's starting to see that lost childhood and so the yeah. ventures of like batman and robin are much more lighthearted because He's kind of like he's he's having this sort of um, retro childhood implemented in his life, and then you start to get in the '60s and you start to see like the you know the 1966 Batman with the the pow and the wow you know. Yep. And he's like he's probably inhaled a bunch of gases from uh, from the years of fighting the Joker and Scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, and he's, yeah. He's kind of hallucinating a little bit, and um, you know, so he kind of had a justification that all these heirs of Batman can kind of work together, and then he kind of made an amalgam with his run it was a really great interesting take on it and you know when superhero movies first started to get legs i felt like that's the way filmmakers approached them they were weird man like yeah think about some of the great comic book films that came out in the 90s in the early 2000s you had the crow yes fantastic film you had i believe dark city is based on a comic correct oh i don't know maybe it might maybe Thinks if not, it's very comic book esque. Yeah. Um. You had uh, the Spawn movie. Yeah, it wasn't a great movie, but it was bizarre for sure. Bizarre for sure, right? Yeah. Um Trying to think of some of the other sort of great, weird '90s hmm. comic book type movies. Well, uh, well, look, uh, the, the, the d- original d- Hellboys. The original Hellboys were from the 2000s, but yeah, totally. Uh, also, oh, Blade. You know. Blade? Blade, yeah. Oh, I love that. All those memes where uh, when Black Panther came out, there was like this meme going around that was like, "Finally, there's a black superhero film." And then, <laughs> and then like the next panel's Blade. Like, finally, what are you talking? You know, like what? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Blade you could argue great. those were great movies. You could, there's a, you could certainly make the argument that the success of the Blade movies jump started the entire superhero franchise. Well, I think Blade and is, is a and Crow. I mean, these are films that don't feel like comic book movies though. Right. That's what's right. so cool about them is they're like, they're those kind of, kind of uh, out, out on the fray comic books that, you know, don't rely on cheesy costumes and stuff. You know, Blade's costume is like Batman's if it wasn't a costume. You know what I mean? It's it's just yeah, all utility yeah. and it's also really cool looking. Oh, right. uh, the Constantine movie. Oh, Constantine! Fantastic! That, I liked that movie. That was a good and, one. You know, you know that uh, uh, Keanu Reeves recently said that he would love to play Constantine again. I hope he does. I would. I would love that, especially because now, like, 
he's he's really starting to uh, adopt what a lot of action heroes do at a certain point, which is like, I know I'm getting older, so I'm going to play characters that are getting older so that I can kind of really tap into that, like, what it feels like for your back to hurt a little bit longer in the morning and, uh, you know. Well, um, there's another comic book that came out in that era that has been on television for a few seasons now, and that's uh, Preacher. Have you been watching Preacher? Right. I have not yet, no. That Man, what they're doing, I mean... That uh, Seth Rogen uh, talked about that how it's so different from the the books, but he has a good reasoning for that. He explains how there's things you can you can do in comic books because a comic book universe, even if it's not a superhero universe, it's still the readers have an understanding of what's allowed, and right. it's a lot of things that just don't really play out in TV shows. They don't work, you know, like things like um, well, I mean, what he describes like the first issue of Preacher, you've got. Uh, a war in heaven, um, a baby god, a vampire from Scotland, um, a badass hit woman. Uh, you've, you know, you've got all these, pretty much everybody in the town dies. You get all this stuff that happens in the very first issue. And they kind of took the whole first season to explain all that because he's going, you know, a comic book audience is just kind of, yeah, cool. Par for the course. That's what happens. But a TV right. audience would be like, I need a lot more backstory here. I need, I need an explanation for all this stuff. Right. And so, but as the show has started to progress, it has displayed it, it. Though it doesn't follow the story closely, it nails the humor of Preacher the whole time, right, and and the right. the weird philo- like philosophical kind of view, like of this kind of uh, if there were gods or if there was a god, the the Christian god specifically, like what what would that mean for our world? What would that what would that character be like? And uh, they really take it there, man. It's it's a lot of fun, and I think they're about to start the uh, fourth season, and then I, and I believe that is the last season. So if you haven't caught up on Preacher, up. go ahead and catch up and enjoy the last season. It's going to be good. Well, so so you know, in the '90s, we had all these gems, all these quirky, offbeat superhero tales. Because I think what you had from the night from the mid '80s on, when when Frank Miller put out the the Dark Knight Rises, um, Grant Morrison did Arkham Asylum and, and, and certainly Alan Moore's Watchmen. I think that a lot of filmmakers who viewed themselves as serious filmmakers and, and didn't really want to get their hands uh, into <coughs> spandex wearing superheroes, they, they like, they found these stories intriguing. They were able to bring these, these stories to life in a, in a, in a really, uh, really cinematic way. And I feel like with, with Endgame coming and going, I don't, know where else there is to take the traditional superhero genre. Like, I guess you could keep redoing it and maybe you could keep trying to make the stakes bigger. But like, I feel like that story, that, that mode of storytelling has been told. I, I, obviously they'll make those movies until the world runs dry. But I think what you're starting to see from filmmakers is okay. Traditional sto- filmmaking has been told right to, to quote David Arbor. Like, the chocolate has been established. Let's start looking at other things that we could do. Let's start looking at other ways to view superheroes because there's still a market there. But maybe we can start going back to the, the cinematic roots of comic book movies, which is like, let's start telling some more unique tales. And uh, you showed me a trailer for, a, I guess it's a series, right? Oh, was With, that uh, the, uh, the retirement home? The supervised? I think yeah. that's a movie, actually. I think that's a, that's a movie. A movie yeah, out. With, uh, yeah. With Tom Berenger. Yeah. Of um of major league fame. 
And yeah. uh, he was in Sliver as well, I think. Mm, I don't but, know. Uh, I don't remember. But anyways, like where where it's a bunch of uh, it's almost like the Boba Hotep of superhero movies, where it's all yeah. these superheroes who were who once had their glory days are all retired now. They're in like a superhero retirement home, and um, all, all their powers are at different levels of of potency, and um, they they uncover an uh, an evil plot, and they've got to sort of band together one more time to sort of fight fight this evil uh, within their little nursery home. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great idea because uh, what does happen when these guys start to age and their uh, their minds start to go, um, there's a lot to explore there, and you don't really see that in the comics. And I understand. I mean, there was um, there's not a lot of comics where they have let the characters age uh, as as the years go by. You know, X Men right. still look very young, even though they've been around since the '60s. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's a, I mean that's a cool concept. Like I think the only time I ever really saw that in a maybe not the only time, but uh, there's a Marvel series that comes to mind called uh, Earth X. Did you ever read any of those? Uh, I'm familiar with it. I don't think I read. That was um, that was uh, illustrated by Alex Ross, right? Uh, my, yeah, I think so. I I, th- I think parts of it were. I don't know if the whole series was, but it was good. It, but it was it was that. It was like what's going on in the Earth, like decades later when everybody's old and uh right. there i mean a lot of weird stuff happened uh at one point it, i think what they were what the what the authors were trying to do was kind of explain why this universe like we've, right. we've always had the you know this marvel universe where there's norse gods and there's superheroes and there's aliens and there's magic and earth x was an attempt to explain like in, in a more realistic way, like why all of this stuff would exist. And they had, uh, it, it, it basically what it came down to was, um, our planet was, uh, an incubator for a, uh, Galactian. So we had like oh, a, like a baby God within our planet basically. And, um, the, uh, superhero thing, the mutant gene, all that stuff is, uh, what happens after so many year. Uh, so, you know, so many, uh, eons when, uh, the, the, God gets closer to hatching out of the planet. Uh, people on the planet, or, or the the beings on the surface of the planet, start to get powers so that they can protect that planet because it's like, oh, interesting. Yeah, like a defense it's defense mechanism, huh? Like a defense, yeah. Because it, it's like now that the God is getting closer, uh, enemies like Galactus might come to try to eat it. So uh, we will develop powers to protect our planet. All the while, not notice knowing that eventually this baby God is going to hatch out of our planet and destroy the whole thing. That's, so that's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of wild because it's like it made sense, you know. It's like why would all just all like around this the same 10 20 year period all these people start right. getting powers and uh all these superhero groups start rising up and stuff and and that's what it was. It was just uh this this big master plan that we weren't even aware of. Uh, that, right. Yeah. Right. See that see that's that's the kind of interesting takes on that that can derive from the comic book genre that we got a lot of in the 90s that we haven't had for a while that I, I feel like are starting to kind of pick up. Like you had you had uh, Old Man Logan, or mm-hmm. I guess, what was he just called? Was it just called Logan? It was just called Logan, but it, it was Old Man Logan. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of people really started to see that and see the success of it and say, huh, we could do something a little bit more unique with it. I, obviously, the Preacher series is doing really well. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just saw, speaking of Game of Thrones, like the next thing that, that HBO is trying to, to launch to keep that, 
keep uh, the Game of Thrones audience from canceling their subscriptions yeah. is uh, some weird Watchmen series. Yeah, some sequel you know? to the Watchmen. And I, I think it's a sequel See, to the they... comics, not a sequel to the film. Yeah, I think we're going to ignore the... F- Look, I don't dislike Zack Snyder's Watchmen. It's fine. But it doesn't capture the the like the great the, what makes the Watchmen comic so interesting is that it had those weird quirky elements that I think the movie kind of stripped away. Yeah. Um and it seems like this um this series has or at least is making an attempt to implement some of those surreal moments back in. Well, it into the storyline. It did. I will say the film did have some of those memorable moments like I'm talking about like the Avengers don't really have. I mean, there was there were lines in the film that I really liked, uh, like, uh, what is it, Jackie Earl Haley, his performance as uh, Rorschach, uh, that was a, that was good. You got to admit, man, when he's, no, I mean, when he's in that actually... prison uh, and he gets in that fight and he tells everybody, I'm not in here with you, you're in here with you're me. Here, yeah. yeah, come on. <laughs> That's amazing. No, there were, there were a lot of great performances, um, visual, but you know, the, the problem is, is just the problem of Zack Snyder because he has such a visionary style that's that is steeped in being looking cool yeah that uh watchmen's not supposed to look cool you know and yeah uh, and when you when you pick a director who makes everything look cool and the stories like like, like the, the this sh- movie or show whatever it is supervised feels more in the spirit albeit a comedy for what watchmen should feel like than than Zack snyder's vision for it i you know, I got to say, because, uh, yeah, touching on Alan Moore, because he was kind of one of the first ones that went, you know, went that direction and said, you know, let's let's have a more realistic look. What what would actually happen if there were superheroes? Like, would they be good people? These, you know, these people that have limitless power and no consequences and, you know, no no threat of, of uh, retribution. If they go over the line, they can pretty much do what they want. Uh you know, is that something that you want to live with on your planet? And I think Watchmen was one of the first one to really look at that. And I think Grant Morrison was kind of the, uh, the guy to keep that going. Garth Ennis as well. Uh, right, stories right. like, uh, like the boys, uh, we're, we're talking about preacher. That's a Garth Ennis book. Well, another one of his is going to be made into a TV show soon called the boys. Right. And, uh, it was like a real spiritual, uh, succession from Watchmen. Yeah, exactly. Like where, uh, the Watchmen, you know, um, he asked, uh, you know, who watches the Watchmen, you know, and Grant or uh, Garth Ennis, he's got the boys. He's like the boys do, you know, they're <laughs> the, the story of the boys is, is they're, they're basically a, uh, a CIA, CIA funded, uh, group of guys that each one of them has some kind of vendetta against a famous superhero. Like every one of them has had mm. something in his life happen lost a loved one. Uh, usually that's something, something along those lines because of the direct actions of a superhero. So, and, and they're basically it, like Captain America. Like he got his powers from this, uh, you know, experimental serum. It's uh, that's how the, the boys get their powers. It's like the CIA. Okay. They, once, once you've been taken into the boys and like become a part of the team, you get, you basically get the Captain America serum. And now you've got the power to, uh, take on you know get get revenge basically but they're not a revenge group and they kind of are and they kind of aren't but it's like you know you've got uh what is it like um imagine um you know the super friends or 
is it Super Friends? Justice League, not Super Friends. <laughs> well, same, yeah, same, same. Yeah, but the Justice League. Imagine if the Justice League existed and, you know, there was all kinds of people who had been hurt by them. Uh, they're awful. They're, I mean, they're basically super-powered frat boys kind of doing what they want. And right, so there's no there's no rules. I mean, how could you impose rules? Yeah, to gods. Exactly. I I mean, you've got like you you brought up the uh, Motley Crue movie, The Dirt, recently, and uh, you know where, where it's kind of these these young men like once they get big and famous, they just kind of want the whole world, and you know it's women every night, it's drugs. Why wouldn't superheroes do that same thing? You know what? Yeah, what would absolutely. what would stop them? And so that's that's the idea of the boys is like something needs to exist to keep these guys in check. And do you uh, remember? Um, do you remember? Uh, I think it was in the late '90s, the comic book miniseries uh, Kingdom Come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Superman. Come, everybody so, was old, and yeah, uh, every, all the traditional superheroes had gotten older, and the new generation had grown up with like limitless power yeah. for their whole lives. And there was, you know, they were real reckless and they sort of lived for fighting. And yeah, you, uh, I mean, yeah. you can barely tell the difference between a superhero and a supervillain. It's just like right. people fighting for fun and destroying public property. And uh, yeah, that was a great series. Yeah. So the boys seems to be picking up on those sort of themes. And I think it's really like, that's the kind of stuff that's really intriguing to me because We've seen traditional superheroes. We've seen the fairy tale. We, what we now want to see is what comes after happily ever after. You yeah. know? And I think the boys with with the very underrated Carl Urban as the lead, it looks really like like it's an intriguing look on that. Certainly the Watchmen series looks like a very intriguing look at carrying on. Like, okay, what happens after the events of Watchmen? Um, and then, again, Brightburn. Brightburn, which is out in theaters now, which is like... Okay, we we've heard we all know the story of Superman. He crashes to Earth, and he's raised by some some Midwestern farmers, and they they teach him about you know truth, justice, and the American way. And he goes on to be the greatest hero who who inspires other heroes to rise up. But what happened if he if he's bullied like many kids are, and he realizes he has unlimited power, like. What would Superman be like if he was raised today? Exactly. Well, I mean, I think we do get to see that in, in our uh, society because we we do have, you know, kids who are the victims of bullying, who are upset, who are angry. And because of our uh, country's gun policies, they do have superpowers, if you think about it. I mean, a, a child right. who's stolen his father's assault rifle and taken it to school how is that any different than superman at the school with his powers you know it's he he it's horrible to say but it's that's that's where we're at right now uh where that 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 is the reality you know it's um it's these it's it yeah to 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 just i don't know if the movie's trying to do a thing like that make a statement like that but uh i i do think it's true that a modern version of that story would uh, would not be a, um, a hero tale. Well, I think if you look at the, the thing to, that always appealed to me about comics was they were modern day tales of gods and goddesses, right? Yeah. The best comic books always served as a ref- like much like their their mythology counterparts always served as a, a mirror to society. Right. If you look at all of Stan Lee's creations, 
the X-Men's were shining a mirror on America's fight with against uh, segregation and racism. Uh, the Hulk, you could look at as, um, you know, was the most relatable to Stan Lee because he was always this, trying to fight off this inner anger that he had. Um, you know, go, you go down the list of characters and they all sort of related somehow to social anxieties in the same way that we've talked about in the past that horror films do, right? Yeah. And I think that at their at their best, your comic book stories should be interesting ways of of shining a mirror on society. And I think that we have gotten away from that over the last few years in order to to give fan service. You know, yeah. like we we made they made Marvel made um, and DC attempted to make um, uh, faithful adaptations from the page. Right. And, and 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 I think that all the actors and all the directors and all the writers involved in that should be really proud of themselves because I think that there are pretty great movies. But I think that what was lost a little bit in that was any sort of deeper meaning that could be derived from those stories. Um, and one movie that's coming out really soon that I, I'm really excited about that I think is going to really delve in a bit deeper than traditional comic book movies have done, which is um, Todd Phillips' The Joker. Oh yeah, yeah. It looks more Have like Taxi Driver. That? That, yeah, it looks it looks more like Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro than it does look like a Batman film. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's got Joaquin Phoenix, who we know is willing to go super deep into his roles if he feels sort of crazily charged by them. Yep. And uh, you know, speaking of Robert De Niro, he plays a small bit in the film, to my understanding. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the whole premise of the story, but um, it looks like he plays some sort of talk show host. Like I've I've heard like a sort of synopsis uh, the 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 person that does eventually become the Joker is this sort of failing comedian. Yeah. Uh, it looks like he has to take care of his mother from the trailer. You know, just life's just dumping on him left and right, and he's always got this aspiration of of appearing on this sort of a Tonight Show esque format, hosted by Robert De Niro, and uh, it looks like a total deconstruction of what a person would be like. You know, if they just start to have that that famous uh, one bad day, you know, from, uh, from the killing joke. Yeah. That uh, killing joke. Exactly. Alan Moore. That's, that's what it reminded me of when I saw the trailer was it, it reminded me of that origin of the Joker of this, this loser, this down and out guy. That's just trying to make it as a comedian. Uh, Cause in the killing joke, I think he's got a family even that he's failing to support. Well, the, the great thing about the killing joke is that his, his backstory is multiple choice. So he always gives, you know, he always gives he gives various versions of what his origin is, but that's one of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he uh, kind of accidentally, uh, because he's just desperate for money, stumbles into this job. The mafia hires him to do something, and it just Batman ends up injuring him really badly, and he gets the green hair and the deformed face, and uh, goes a little crazy. And it and yeah. what's cool about it is is it, I think, up until now uh, when he's been in movies. He's kind of been expressed as a uh, character that's just sort of born crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not, he's either he's a uh, Jack Nicholson and he's this criminal and um, he's, he's, you know, he's this nihilistic criminal. And when he gets the injury, uh, he just loves it and it pushes him over the edge into this like psychosis Joker character, or he's, um, you know, whatever, he was in the uh, was it Dark Knight? 
prizes. Yeah, Heath, uh, Heath yeah, Ledger, Heath. I, I guess in Heath Ledger's version, he might have been like an ex-military or something. They didn't really explain, but he just kind of shows up as this guy. But like to have yeah, it we where... Really get, we never really see how he gets there. Right. But to, to have it where um, the thing that drives him crazy is just trying to make a living in our world. Like he's an honest man just trying to be a... Uh, trying trying to make people laugh trying you know tr- well, he just wants to be a comedian right? uh, uh, totally he wants to be an artist he wants to make a living as an artist and we know how that goes it's man it's rough yeah, yeah. and so yeah. And, and and these are the kind of human humanity centric stories that can be told through these characters like who can't relate with just especially like living out here in los angeles where there's twenty thousand homeless people on the street like i yeah. bet you there's a whole lot of people who every day see their rent raise and their and their income lower, and just thinking them and they, they sit and they start watching this film and they're like, man, one bad day could be the difference between you being just a person on the street and you snapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love Phillips, I love that he idea. Did, um, he did the 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 Big Short, right? I think that was a Todd Phillips film. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. He it's about the Wall Street crash, the housing bubble crash. You know the of the mid two thousands. So I feel it feels like like his take on the Joker is like an, a natural extension of that. Like what happens when the gatekeepers have failed us, and and what happens on the on a street level to people as they as they are the the direct result of um, wealthy people's irresponsibility. Exactly, and th- and this is. I think, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. We don't know. It could be terrible. I hope it's not. But it, from what I look, from what it looks like right now, from what we're seeing, it looks like the Joker film coming out is that example of what we're talking about. Of it's comic books have, or uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, DC Universe, all this stuff has shown us the the activities, the action. They've shown us the you know the crazy stories, but they haven't really given us the why. And that's where right. we're at now. We're at that point where movies have to start telling us why all of this, why it should matter, why, why that these can't, that it is realistic, that it can, I mean, it's, you know, as realistic as any fantasy story, but that they're, that, they're, that they aren't just showing us cartoons brought to life, that they are, uh, you know, giving us humans that, you know, it's a, that, that they're showing us what we would do if we were these people. And, yeah, I think I think what we've had for the last eleven years is, um, hey, turn your brain off, yeah, and and relive your childhood, yeah, exactly. Right? And I think what you, we're starting to see filmmakers do now is challenge those conventions a little bit, and it might. I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna arise the ire of Twitter. You know, I'm sure there's gonna be a bunch of people who get real mad oh, about yeah. there. This is not my comic books, <laughs> but being forced into thinking a little bit deeper about these these superheroes that we celebrate and we dress up as and we go to conventions. You know, there's a lot of people I don't, but there's a lot of people I know who who make a regular living going to conventions dressed up as their favorite superhero. You know, and it's like uh-huh. let's start thinking a little more deeply about what we're dressing up as. Like, let's start thinking a little bit more about this this celebrity status that we're that we're giving to the superhero genre yeah i mean there's nothing wrong with portraying a hero that is just complete black and white good but show us how i mean show the world around him as realistic you know if if there is a hero that is always on the side of good and always makes the moral choice show how the world reacts to that and and how it makes it difficult for him to do that you know because that's that's the truth man this stuff is complicated when you're dealing on that scale uh like it reminds me of um there's a scene in the boys comic book 
which uh, Garth Ennis is such a genius. He, when he wrote The Boys, he threw in a lot of our society's uh, big catastrophes over the years. Mm. And his, uh, we, we've all heard the, and we've talked about it before. Uh, the, the the whole Alex Jones nine uh, eleven was an inside yeah. job theory. So in the boys, you get to see it is an inside job in a world with superheroes. So it's like oh, they, it's amazing because it's like they they kind of the government gets this idea to uh, uh, simulate a terrorist attack on America, and they're going to have their um, you know their parody Justice League team go in and say and stop it for a pr thing right 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 but the superheroes end up botching it so badly because their egos are so out of control that more people died if they hadn't have interfered (laughs) yeah it's the coolest thing and i'm hoping i'm hoping when the tv series comes out that it includes stuff like that because that made it so much fun but uh that and that's the but that's the kind of thing i'm talking about it's like hey avengers film show us i mean i guess they kind of did Show us what happens when it doesn't go right because they had Thanos they, kill they, half the I, universe. Yeah, look, I think that they they do a good job for what they're trying to do. You're, you're not really going to see Avenger films for like – you're just not going for that deeper deeper look. That's not what they're doing. And that's fine because, you know, again, I'm going to judge an Avengers film or any other film based on what their intent is. And if their intent is to let you relive that heroic age, then that's fine. That's totally fine. And and if that's your if that's your motivation, then I think they've done an excellent job of it. Yeah. But but I'd also like to see I'd also like to see uh a deeper take on these characters. I'd like to see I man, I would love to see what Grant Morrison could do if he directed a film. Uh it's it's his turn, man. Put him out there. Yeah, put his stories out there cuz like you were talking earlier about uh how um so, the, 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 the superheroes are kind of the gods, the pantheon of gods of our time. And that's something that Morrison always touches on. And I, I love it. It's amazing. He, like he wrote this story called flex Mentallo. Have you ever read it? No, it's great. And flex Mentallo was this character from, uh, uh, I want to say, uh, doom patrol, which is also a TV series right now. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's coming out with a uh, Brendan Frazier of the mummy theme. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the coolest story because it's about this hero that's the most ridiculous concept you've ever seen. He's this he was a scrawny nerd and um, he uh, saw an ad for a uh, exercise book, which is an ad that, that that used to be in comic books back in the day. I, I remember it was like them. Charles yeah. Atlas exercise or something. Right, and, you could you could you could like buy a, yeah. a one stop sort of weightlifting program. Exactly, and it's it's the the it's a little. It's a little comic strip of a guy on the beach and he gets sand kicked in his face while he's trying to flirt with this girl by the, this big strong guy walks out and humiliates him. And then he orders that book. He starts working out and then he's the hero of the beach in the next panel. And Flex Mentallo is a character that had that same thing happen to him. But when he ordered the book and started doing all its program, he got like ridiculously strong to where even his muscles were so powerful. They had their own telepathic powers and uh <laughs> yeah so he's just this like giant pro wrestler looking guy with leopard briefs on that uh and, and whenever he uses his powers a neon sign that says hero of the beach appear appears above his head and in <laughs> reflecting on what a stupid character he is and what a stupid concept he is he starts to discover the the like nature of his own universe and at the same time we're watching the writer of Flex Mentallo trying to commit suicide by taking psychedelic drugs. And what he discovers is that 
the whole superhero universe that he's created in his comic books is the real universe. Like, imagine a universe where Fantastic Four, Hulk, all those guys are, you know, Mar- basically the Marvel universe exists. And they right. got into some kind of crisis. And their only option uh, was to kind of pause their own universe and create a secondary universe where they could conf- they could exist in a fictional space w- until they resolve this conflict that's, and then they can go back deep. to their original universe. So that's amazing. As a comic book writer, he discovers that our universe was created by his own characters because they need to work, write they need some way to write themselves out of this crisis. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Let's that, get and this, crazy shit yeah, like that this, in the movies, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've talked about oftentimes how we we love and we we want to promote weirder, more surreal chances being taken in the film. And I think that you have there's a you know Trans Metropolitan Man. Oh, is another great example. Fantastic book. Uh, there's a. Have you ever seen that documentary on Grant Morrison? I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah, I have, uh, and I also don't remember what it's called. It's a while back, but it's really cool uh yeah like how he um after writing batman he becomes a millionaire and he just immediately stops being straight edge and starts doing every drug he can think of and uh you know drinking whole glasses of whiskey just to see what will happen going out to the desert doing lsd with gurus and like (laughs) and how it just completely changes it's 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 insane because it's like this guy that was just this this nerdy comic book fan but had this really wild imagination but then as soon as he got that confirmation from dc comic books that hey guess what you're a millionaire now it was like he he just like hatched into this like full-grown crazy psychedelic warrior of writing and and starts just doing it magic i mean yeah he he gets out there have you seen his um there's this clip uh this this video that you can see on youtube it's him at the disinformation conference in canada and uh he (laughs) He walks out and immediately just lets out this howl into the microphone. And then he says, like, uh, I took, um, you know, I took a couple of grams of acid, like about or a couple of doses of acid, uh, like 10 minutes ago. So it should start kicking in pretty soon. See if you notice. <laughs> and, then he, and then he just talks for 45 minutes about how we should do magic because it's being done against us. And we all need to become magicians ourselves. And he explains how to make uh, magic sigils that can summon powers. I mean, it's. It's right. really something, man. Well, Alan Moore was is really into magic as well, and I heard, I remember always hearing rumors that Alan Moore was trying to destroy the world through magic through his comics. Do you ever, do you ever hear that? Uh, I've never heard of this destroy the world thing, but I love his take on why he's a magician. I think it's incredible because uh, basically what he explains is um, this. I mean, it's it's a little different than Grant Morrison because Grant Morrison is like doing actual like chaos magic methods and you know trying to hack the universe essentially but alan moore has a much more um i want to say practical take on it where he's going like i'm a magician because i'm an artist because like he gives this example of uh let's say that a magician you know back in the day let's say some magician cursed you and somehow it was effective and like your hands got clumsy and you couldn't make a living as a blacksmith anymore or whatever you are uh, so that would be, you know, one form of that wizardry magic that we're used to. Now, let's say instead of a magician cursing you, let's say that a bard, a storyteller creates a story mm. about what an idiot you are and you may not be right. an idiot, but his story is so convincing and so well written that your name becomes synonymous in that region with just stupidity. 
now not only are you cursed, but your next generation's cursed. The gen- anyone with your name That's continuing right. forward is carries that curse of stupidity, whether it's real or not. You're considered the dumbest guy in town because one artist made a powerful work of art against you. Right, right. And these these are the kind of things that I think that we haven't seen much of translated into translated into the the visual and audio medium. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's is that man. I think I think is that magic general, though? Is art magic? I don't know. I, I mean so. that's that's what he's saying. I mean I I mean I, I would I would make the argument that perception is reality right but there's certain there's certain scientific um truths but beyond that there's a whole lot of things that are mostly interpretation and we talk about time we talk about space these are all things that we even the scientific community would would uh, admit are human constructs they don't exist they're not real they're not they're not scientific or cosmic truths things like color or the perception of light refracting against our eyes and our brain synopsis operating in a certain way that perceives color. But there are people who are colorblind. Yeah. Right. There are people who's, yeah. So, uh, within that sphere reality, I think that there is a lot of room to manifest your own reality. And I think that magic can be used to do that to your point. Is someone an idiot or not an idiot? Well, that's a perception thing, right? A good a good story, a good story, can can form a reality, right? We talk about media bias all the time. It shapes the world, the way that we look at the world. You know, people who who listen to only Fox News, Fox News, whether it knows it or not, is invoking a type of magic because mm-hmm. they are creating a they are they are shifting and creating a reality in their image. Yeah, every slo- every slogan millions. they throw out there, every. The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. I mean, that is a mind-altering spell, really. If you take, you know, these, these, that's why these things have these like weird limerick uh, rhythms to them. You know, yeah, Yeah, exactly. uh, Support the troops. You know, what does that even mean? I mean, obviously, we hope the troops do the best, and we hope they're okay. But like, does that mean we support every war that the corporations start? I don't know. But once you've got that you know, that sigil in your head, once you've got that slogan. So is it a spell or is it just a slogan? Should we consider, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, should we, should we consider this as attacks against us, magical attacks? Like when we're watching a drug commercial and they're reading off that list of side effects, but at the same time, this lovely animation of a field with flowers blowing through it. And this nice music is playing as they're talking about, you're going to be bleeding from your anus and you know, you, you right, won't have the ability to right. smile anymore. And, yeah. and yet you're at peace the entire time. Yeah. You actually even feel a sense of, uh, of levity. You yeah. know? Um, Why not yeah, start taking are, on that opinion are... that these are magical attacks against your mind. These are people trying to get you to stop thinking and just receive. That's right. We were that's way right. off topic that's right the power. now. But... <laughs> no, but it's not because that's the power. That's the power of a certain type of storytelling. Sure. And and it, and, and, in, and getting back and to the heroes, the, world, the, the heroes yes, are the opposite the world, of that. They're showing what we could what we could be. It's the point that Neil Gaiman's been trying to make his entire career. That storytelling is how we get to the next world. That's how we get to a better civilization. Um you know he's he's got the famous uh, series also adapted into a television show of American Gods. Uh, well, it right, wasn't a, it was right. just a novel, but and there's also kind of like a sister book called The Nazi Boys. 
And um, yeah. it's like the point that he's trying to make with this stuff is that the you know where he he tells it in a story where the gods are real people in real life and everything. But the the main uh, point of it, at the core of it, is that all of these gods are just collections of stories. And every culture that they've come out with, when the new gods came up and they started telling these new stories, it changed them into what they would become. You know, and like Anansi Boys talks about how uh, in Africa a long time ago, the main god was a tiger god. And people that worshiped this tiger god were like a lot more violent. It was a, uh, a male-dominated culture in which... Uh, basically brute force was the uh, determining factor on which way the society would go. And then this very popular spider God started to emerge called Anansi. And the stories began, uh, started to become instead of tales of the tiger getting revenge and using his power, they were tales of a spider tricking the tiger into doing stupid things and humiliating himself. They were spiders Mm. spinning webs, you know, using their thought like storytelling. Yes. Like spiders using their, that, that using his intellect to, to fool the powerful people, you know, cause what is a little spider? He's nothing versus a tiger, right. but this spider could always outwit the tiger. He could always outthink him. And it led to this African society where people started using their minds more. They started inventing more. They started coming up with like, because the spider was so popular and they loved the story so much. They wanted to be more like that spider than like that tiger. And that's what it is. That's what storytelling does for us. It moves us into these new ways of thinking, new ways of being better, pe- you know, better ways to be better people, basically. What I'm starting to see and what I'm hopeful for is that we eventually start moving into the era of the spider god. You've been listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the Who Watches the Watchmen Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.